Lynn Hiles Ministries presents That You Might Have Life. He said he didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. So Jesus came that we might have life. The Bible said in him was life, the life was the light of men. The more light you have, the more life you're going to have. So you can have peace was on me. That's why it's called the gospel of peace. He took your punishment so you could get his peace. He took what you had coming so you could get what he has coming. All around the country and around the world, people just like you are awakening to the good news of Jesus Christ. What God wanted to do was release the kingdom of God in your life until the joy and the peace and the righteousness of the Holy Ghost would so fill your life. I don't want to just make heaven my home. I want to make my home like heaven. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you once again for joining into our program again this week. And uh, once again, and probably for a little while, I'm going to have my oldest son, Jeremy, on the program. My oldest son, Jeremy, is uh, a pastor of a great church. It's a growing, thriving church that they just planted just not a couple of years ago in Winchester, Virginia. And there will be information on the screen where you can uh, go to their website or whatever and find their location they meet on Monday nights, and let me tell you something, boy, it'd be worth your while if you're within anywhere within an hour to drive, be part of their fellowship because he's doing some great teaching on the book of Revelation. But this book has been, to me, a book that I've taught for so many years. We've got a lot of products in our uh, archives. Uh, we have a series on Revelation. We have a series on uh, fresh look at end times. We've got a book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ that has deals with especially the first several chapters of the book of Revelation. And uh, if you watched the program before I started having Jeremy on, I've been teaching about repentance. By the way, it's really good to have you on the program again today, there. Jeremy. And uh, uh, it's an honor, I, you know, of all the men of God that teach the book. I think you're one of them that's got uh, some real strong grip on how to unfold this book and make it make sense to people. And I think that's really important. I think a lot of people, uh, to them, the book of Revelation is a great mystery. But before uh, I had Jeremy on uh, in the weeks prior to this, I was doing a series out of the book of Matthew, and we were talking about repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the whole concept behind that is that repent does not necessarily mean you need to confess your sin every five minutes, but it literally means change the way you think. Mm -hmm. It's a Greek word, metanoia. And, uh, you know, what I began to teach, uh, you know, about that was that the repentance was not just from sin. But they were repenting when John the Baptist said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were literally repenting from, uh, you know, an old covenant. They were changing their mindset. Yeah. We could say repenting from dead works. Mm -hmm. they, and they were changing their mindset to another form of government called the kingdom of God. And during that period of time, uh, we were talking about a series that we did called the government of affirmation. I think it is in Corinthians, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 3 verse 9, in the Message Bible, it says, For if the government of condemnation was glorious, how about this government of affirmation? And so uh, they were talking, I was talking about moving from old covenant government of condemnation to new covenant, a government of affirmation, so that we're not left. See, a lot of people, listen, I need to look at this camera and say this, because a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon of the message of freedom from law and grace and didn't really hear the whole message. Because what happens is if you just preach the side of it that says we're free from law, then that's going to make you lawless. But when you realize that another form of government 
replaced that old form of governing. It, you, you were governed by rules on rocks, I call it. But in the new covenant, you're governed by the Holy Spirit and you're governed by an internal son of God living his life in you. That doesn't make you lawless. It makes you dependent on him and his life. And so uh, when we get to the book of Revelation, for instance, <clears throat> I think it's interesting that the message is still repent, metanoia, and it's not to sinners, it's to the church. And we've already said this before, but I'm going to repeat it again. But there, it was literally, first of all, we need to remember this. Although it has relevance to us for every age, it had some relevance to the first century church. There was really seven churches in Asia that really needed to change their mind about something. And almost everything they need to change their mind about is something from moving from an old covenant mindset to a new covenant mindset. You know, I just, I mean, this stuff just unfolds to me. I sit here and think, man, how can I get it all out? But uh, they are moving from an old covenant mindset to a mind, new covenant mindset. And uh, they are literally, uh, uh, you know, in the fourth chapter of Revelation, it's going to open up and say, and after this, mm -hmm. my response would be, well, after what? Well, the, the answer to that is after you repent. Yep. After you repent, I looked and I saw a throne with a rainbow and a little book. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You may think that's a, a Victorian chair on a planet three miles south of Mars, but I submit to you that all that really is is a revelation of the kingdom of God that came on the scene over 2,000 years ago that has been available to you and I right now where we can come boldly to the throne of grace without leaving this planet. And so when I see the rainbow there, that to me is a symbol of the covenant, the new covenant. God made a covenant with Noah. He put the bow in the, uh, the bow in the sky and said, hey, this is my token to you that I'll never be angry or wroth with you again. Yeah. And then the little book to me is the new covenant. It's the constitution of the kingdom. And that's not something way out in the distant future. It's something that becomes relevant and available to you in your now. When you repent, you access the kingdom. So, you know, and then all through that book, and I know I've thought a lot out here, but all through the fourth chapter, there's a message from four living creatures, a lion, a man, an ox, and a flying eagle. And these four living creatures are saying, come and see. Come and see. It's interesting to me that at the end of the book of Revelation, their response is, and I saw. Yeah. And I saw. So it starts out with come and see, and it ends with, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. And so I think it's interesting that you could actually tie those to two things. The four faces of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm -hmm. They are also the four innermost symbols of the four tribes that were closest to the most holy place of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Dan, the tribe, I believe it was, of Ephraim and of Manasseh. And so uh, all of those, you know, are, they were the closest to the throne room or literally to the most holy place okay. in, in the book of Genesis, or the book of Exodus, I'm sorry. I want to say one more thing, then I want you to jump in here. But I think it is interesting, and this is something I've noticed just recently, this is something that's not in some of my former material, but Matthew and Mark and Luke all have an Olivet Discourse where they're talking about you know, the end of the uh, Jewish polity, the end of the temple, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, uh, the end of that age that was dealing with right then. Jerusalem was about to become desolate. It was about to be trampled underfoot. The temple was about to be destroyed. But John, the Gospel of John, is the only one that does not have an Olivet Discourse. My thought is, if John the Revelator wrote the book of Revelation, this is probably John's 
all of it discourse. This is his probably his view of what happened in Matthew 24, because yeah. I'm telling you when it says come and see everything Jesus prophesied about you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, and there's going to be famines and earthquakes. Man, that's Matthew 24 in a nutshell. Yeah. And if those beasts are saying come and see, come and see, they're trying to get you to come and see not something that's going to take place, but something that already took place and the destruction of Israel. But once again, to the believer, those are not coming catastrophes. They sang right after that the song of redemption so that that's not what's coming to the believer. It's what we've been redeemed from. Yeah. But really the whole concept here, and I know I've introduced this a long time again, but I mostly give you Sorry. almost the whole middle of the show. Okay. But the whole uh, concept here is that if we'll repent and change, we will move from an old covenant to a new covenant. So let's talk about the first one here, which is the book, uh, The Church at Ephesus. And you just go ahead and take It's great to have you on the program. I mean, it's it's nice to have somebody dialogue with (laughs) that has some understanding of Revelation. I don't know who better to do that with. So go Uh, ahead. You know, even when you took, you you, uh, have been teaching uh, from that repentance uh, teaching that you've done that John came and said, or yeah, John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And one of the things you said is that the kingdom is one mind change away one mind from, shift away. from manifesting. And six out of the seven churches that he's going to deal with here uh, in this in chapter two and chapter three of the book of Revelation, he's going to tell them to repent. And he's going to promise them, you know, that if that if you repent and you overcome, then something's going to be given to you, rather it be, you know, a white stone or you be given, uh, you be made a pillar in the temple or, you know, what a, the door is going to be open to you or something. Uh, when you get to chapter 4, almost everything that's promised to them, to the overcomer, is manifested right. in chapter 4. So what that says to me is that uh, somebody repented, somebody changed their mind and the kingdom became available to them. Yeah. Uh, in other words, the kingdom was manifested the moment they repented, changed their mind about where they were. Uh, you know, in growing up, uh, you know, and growing up in church, and uh, especially being uh, the son of an itinerant minister, and where we traveled, uh, you know, we didn't just travel in certain uh, denominations, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, we tra- we we you ministered in many different. Uh, Backgrounds of denominations yeah. and and church levels of understanding. Levels of understanding, and so I've seen a, a lot of different uh, what we would call moves of God throughout my life. And every move of God, you know, what happens is they're great, and we look at it and think this is that. We want to put a label on it and say this is that. You know, this is the this is the ultimate. We've made it kinda, and then it, it begins to fizzle out. And we realize that okay. There are still some issues with even amongst those things. And we almost turn our back on different movements because all of a sudden another uh, manifestation of the power of God is being manifested or a greater revelation comes to us and then we jump on that bandwagon. So I've seen throughout my life many different uh, moves of God. And I believe that where those moves of God began to fizzle or where they became corrupted is when uh, the focus stopped being on Christ and began to be upon us again, whatever level that was. Because I, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't want to use labels of movements and exclude people because I want us to see that even uh, what. Uh, let me just take it as the grace movement of where uh, we have been a part of even in these days now mm-hmm. has been a great move of God, but it's not. That it's mm-hmm. not the ultimate revelation, but it has what grace has done for me is 
It's made me look back onto every other thing that I've learned about God and begin to put a focus and realize those things are not to be thrown away. There's something to be included and things that add to me. Right. Uh, I, I remember being taught sonship. And I remember the power of sonship, but I remember also how it put a focus on us that we could be 10 feet tall, bulletproof. We leap buildings a single bound, and it's all about me. Yeah, and, and even, what I can even do. me being a son was about if I suffered enough, yeah. if I got pulled to a knothole backwards enough, if I got yeah. processed enough. Yeah. And it really was about, uh, not so much about, again, the focus on me and my suffering and my dying. Was, the focus was on his suffering, his dying, and what he did to make me a son. Yeah. And so, you know, but I remember throwing sonship away at a time because we got a great, we got another revelation of something. And we threw it away for a time because we thought, well, that was corrupt. I got corrupted. And people that believe in sonship, you know, they, you know, still underneath that, then they, you know, they're not as, they're not as cool as we are. They're yeah. not up where There's we are. There's always a spirit of elitism yeah. with some of that, yeah. And what God has really done with grace has really made me look back at things and realize that I need all those different moves of God. Yeah. I need all those, that everything I was taught was not... I was taught it for a reason. Yeah, it might need to be tweaked. It but need it, to be tweaked, and, and again, the focus had to always be put upon Christ and not me. And that's what grace taught me to do. Yeah, is grace taught me that is the focus is not me. The focus is on Christ. And when I did that, all of a sudden I realized that everything I'd ever experienced, everything I've ever taught in my life, had to be included. It was something that I needed, Absolutely. even in this time and age. It wasn't something to be thrown away. It was something to be included yes. to empower me to be the son, to be uh, that which God called me to be. And when I did that, it caused my mind to change about things. It began to cause a repentance to happen. And all of a sudden, uh, it began to dawn on me because I remember, you know, I remember kingdom being taught and I remember, yeah. you know, those things and that's, those were great things, but I remember there was corruption in those things as well. Yeah. When the focus was taken off Jesus again and yeah, put on something Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people, when we were even here in the gospel of the kingdom, it was like, okay, the kingdom is here, but it's accessed through righteousness, which mm -hmm. is true. But the problem was they taught an old covenant righteousness to access the kingdom rather than a righteousness that was a gift of yeah. God to access the kingdom. Yeah. So that had to be tweaked as well. And like you said, that's all been part of our journey. And to me, that's a missing piece yeah. that some people don't understand at all. The present reality, some people don't understand at all the present reality of the kingdom. And that's yeah. what Jesus taught. Yeah. And you know, I, I came across the scripture. I, I don't know if I can find it real quick. I know I'm, I'm, I'm hindering you here for a minute, but sure. I believe it was in Acts 20. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. But uh, but he, Paul the Apostle was talking about, I, I, don't, I, I probably don't need to look it up because it takes take me, no, here it is. It says, uh, uh, this is chapter 20, verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of, of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. So what he really does here is he ties the gospel of grace and the gospel of kingdom together because he says to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And he says, and now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So what I begin to realize is that we were preaching part of the kingdom, but without the grace. Yep. But the grace is the currency that makes the kingdom operate. Yep. So we had to tweak that and the message continues to grow, but it's still a very vital part. Yeah. Well, you know, even those days we were taught that the kingdom was available, but it was still not available. Yeah. 
And, and the reason why, it was always out in the future. Yeah, somewhere. it was still at a future. But then we condemned people that put a kingdom out in the future. At the same time, yeah. it became a message of exclusion rather than inclusion yeah. again. And it's because Christ was still not the central. You know, we talked in the last couple, last se session, about Christ being the central shaft of that of that candlestick. Christ not being the central shaft of those things still puts things out unobtainably. There's yeah. still one more hoop yeah. left to jump. And that's what religion has done throughout the ages. That's what was happening in the Old Covenant. It was always one more hoop that excluded us rather than included us into yeah. the kingdom of God. And Jesus came that we wouldn't be excluded any longer, but that we could be included yeah. into Him. And so if Jesus was not the central theme, then something had to be changed until John says, repent for the kingdom of God yeah. is at hand. And when he says that, he looks and there's the king of the kingdom. Walking down the pool. Walking down. So Jesus is the answer to all those things. What unlocks everything? What unlocks faith in my life? Because faith was a great move of God. Great message. But there was things that it began to be focused on me that caused me to fail yeah, at faith. Yeah, yeah. But faith, I, 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 when grace came in, in, these, in these days especially, as I've really began to look at this repentance of changing my mind, I realized, man, I can't throw away faith. I can't throw away that great move of God. I need that move of God because faith is what gives me access. It's what gives me access to the kingdom of God because I believe yeah. the kingdom is available to me. That's yeah, I yeah. believe that 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 uh, the apostle Paul says it's what faith, makes a believer out of you is what he did. Yeah, faith. Uh, the, our our Hebrew says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. In other words, when my faith becomes the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he says, if you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things are added to you. In other words, when I put the focus upon Jesus and his kingdom, everything is unlocked for me. I'm not having to wish it's going to happen. It becomes unlocked because my focus is on the one that provided. He yep. was the yes. provider yep. that, that gives me provision. It's, it's like Romans, what I believe it is, uh, I, forget, I, think, I think it's, I forget which chapter it is now, but he says, for then faith comes by, that's chapter 10, mm -hmm. for then faith comes by, by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the word God there, if you put that in your inner linear Bible, is the Greek word for Christ. So then faith comes by hearing the word about Christ. I believe that's a missing element. Yep. It's the missing element to the faith message. Yep. It's the it miss, it missing element to the grace message. Yep. It's the missing element to the kingdom message. Yep. It's the missing message to the righteousness message. It's yep. the because it's about Him. And yep. so when it does, then faith is not a struggle or a work, or it is yep. a response to the gospel. Yep. Absolutely. About. Even in these days where grace is such a powerful move of God, it becomes about, you know, God's not mad at me. This is, and, and those are true statements. Yeah. But unless you know why God's not mad at you, yeah. what removed the wrath of God out of your life? What removed those things? In other words, even in grace, our focus has to be completely and utterly upon Christ because if you just, if all you hear is God's not mad at me, but you don't hear the reason why he's not mad is because he took your old nature that he was mad at, destroyed it. Yeah. So that what's standing here is a new creation that he can no longer be mad at. Yeah. Then you will just continue in an old lifestyle. And that everything you had coming under the old covenant, Jesus fully met that in his yeah. death, burial, and resurrection. And, and, and again, if we, when you fo don't focus on Jesus, it, it 
you, nothing changes within you. It still doesn't give you the complete fulfillment. There's still an empty hole inside of you if you don't know that something has changed. And it's because of what Christ did. The, the, whole, the whole message has to be of repentance is that you change your focus from what you once were to what Jesus did. You, you put it on the king of the kingdom. Yeah. And so when he writes these churches, he always gives them first a revelation yep. of an aspect of Christ. He yep. shows them. And he says, you know, uh, then in this first church, he says, you know what? I, I, know your, I know your works. I know your labors. I know your patience. I know the stuff you've done. But you've forgotten your first love. I need you to repent and remember from whence you have fallen. In other words, I need you to change your mind from the place of where you have built everything upon you. Your because works your, your works, labor. your labor, that's a, that's a message. And he said, still. you know, false apostles came and taught you that. You have them that say they're apostles and are not, but they're yeah. liars. Because they taught you works and labor, yeah. and labor and works. Yeah. And he's like, I, what he's saying to them is, I want you to give a revelation. Uh, he says, I, the revelation that he gives them is, I'm the one that's in the midst of the golden candlestick. Yeah. I'm the one, I'm the central theme. I'm the yeah, one yeah. that you need to focus on. You have focused on the works, the labors. You've focused on the patience. You've, you've judged those that are apostles and are not. You've, you, that's been your focus. And your focus needs to come back to your first love, which is me. Because if I become, if you repent, you change your mind and put your focus on everything, uh, or you put your focus completely and utterly on me, it's going to fix everything. It's going to release you from the works and labors. Yeah. Jesus comes and says, uh, come, all, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He gives them a revelation of the seven golden candles. That seven is a, is a number for rest. He's giving them here. If you put the focus on me, this is what's going to bring you rest. This is what's going to bring you to a place where it's not, you're not going to get wore out with your works and labors and, and it not be, you're doing everything that you're doing is great stuff, but you're not doing it out of a love. Mm -hmm. you, you've lost your passion for it. It's not yeah. exciting to you anymore. You're preaching a message that's not even exciting to you anymore because it's not focused on me. Yeah. And so he said, if you put it back on me, it's going to restore your love of this. It's going to restore your passion. Uh, one of the things that I really have, that the grace message has done and and has done is put my focus completely on Christ. And what that did was restore back to me my love and passion for God. Uh, you know, I got saved at a young age, and I, I, the reason I got saved is because I loved God. Yeah. I, I, you know, I grew up in church, so it wasn't like I went through some crises of life and all of a sudden I had to turn to God. Mm -hmm. I turned to God because I learned at a long, young age, I love Him, He loves me. Yeah. But after a little while, when I began to grow up under some religious stuff, I lost my passion for it after a while because I was always trying to please him and I felt like I wasn't pleasing yeah. him in the things that I thought what I was doing was never enough. And I would cry and say, God, if you just forgive me, if you teach me, you help me, I'll make it better, I'll do better, you know. And I get wore out and just thinking, man, I can never. And then I learned, man, when I began to put my focus on him, how much he, he loved me. And all of a sudden I got my passion for him back. I felt, I feel today even more excited and more in love with God than the day I gave my life to him. Yeah. I feel more clean and, and I feel like a weight is lifted off of me even more so than I did the moment I gave my life to Christ. And there's not many Christians that can say that for themselves, that that's really what's true, but I feel that. And the reason why is because my focus has repented to where he is my first love and he's my only love. That's where my complete and utter intention is on all the time. Mm -hmm. And it releases 
all the blessings, all the... Mm -hmm. It takes the pressure it off. It takes the pressure off. It makes this life easy. Uh, you know, I, uh, Bishop Levister, uh, which is a friend of ours, he, he came and preached the message one time and said, it's about to get easy. And it really, for me, it really has. Life has gotten easy and it's gotten good. Uh, is it good all day, every day? No, there's some stuff sometimes where it's not good all day, every day. But I can honestly say it's good every day. Mm -hmm. His mercies are new every morning. I'm enjoying this journey. I'm enjoying where I'm at because I put my attention on the love of my life and not all the stuff. Yeah. And, and when you do that, just like he said to the church of Ephesus, all of a sudden you become an overcomer and it unleashes the blessings of God in your life. You know, I was thinking the other night, and even while you were saying that, and I think we're going to come back and address this church at Ephesus even in greater detail in a few moments ago. But I was thinking about the scripture that talks about the faith that works by love. And man, that was such a, I was, I was laying in bed, and all of a sudden that scripture hit me, faith works by love. And I thought, well, man, you know, really, uh, when I realize how much he loves me, it boosts my faith to realize I'm going to receive from him. You know, when I think about if God, who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, if he wouldn't hold back his only son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? So, uh, you know, the first thing that hits most people when they walk down a church aisle to receive healing or ministry or prayer is, they, I, you know, I know God can do it, but I don't know if he'll do it for me. Yeah. In other words, I, I've not, not really been made perfect in love yet. I've not really realized he really does love me. Yeah. And when I realize I am the beloved of the Father, that I am loved of him, that God does love me, then I'm, I'm, my faith goes to another level. And it's not something I manufacture, but it's like, you know what? It's like, man, you know, your kids, you know, and you, like you said, you're about yeah. to become a father pretty soon. But, you know, even when your kids make you mad, the truth of it is you love them yeah. and you're going to supply what they need. Even when you're, you know, even if you get aggravated about yeah, it, and you know, yeah. the truth of it is God already satisfied his wrath in Christ. But the truth of it is, is when you realize you're loved, there's something about that that says, even if I'm in trouble, daddy's going to come help me. Yep. You know, and, and that's the truth about our father is he, you know, and so, you know, our faith, you know, what I think people walk down a church aisle and first thing hits them is not faith. It's the last foul thing they ever did that made them think they're disqualified where God didn't love them. Yeah. You know, we're about to run out of time, but I, I just really feel like uh, while I'm saying this, there's somebody listening to us, and you that's exactly what you felt like. You, you felt like, well, maybe I'm being punished for something. Maybe God is, uh, you know, maybe this is, this is the judgment of God. I want you to get that out of your head, first of all. He laid all his judgment on Christ. But I want you to realize today he loves you. Oh, how he loves you. He loves you more than you can imagine. And if he loved you enough not to withhold. If God who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? That means if you need healing today, if he was not willing, I mean, if he was willing to give up his son, he's certainly willing to give up some healing. If you're going through some financial problems, if God was willing to give up his son to redeem us from poverty, how shall he not with him give you what you need financially? If there's relationship problems, I'm telling you, God cares about you. 
He loves you. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. When you realize how much God cares about you, see, even with the, the change that he wants in your lifestyle, it's not because he's mad at you. He loves you too much to see you mess up your life. We're out of time. God bless you. Tune in again next week and watch the program if you would. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.